Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the New Testament reading of James chapter 5, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, you don't have to raise your hand when I ask you these questions, but, but think about this. How many of you have ever had an issue with someone? Either you did something that they didn't like, or they did something that you didn't like, or you had a, a disagreement with someone, or maybe a fight with someone. Ever had this with anyone? And how many of you have ever had this happen with someone in the church? Either way, we call this conflict. Last week, Pastor Brad talked about conflict, about worldly conflict versus godly conflict. And reading from James chapter 4, we find that there is fighting and quarreling that happens among people, even the people of God, because of selfish ambitions, because of evil desires, because of the passions that are at war within us. We are all selfish people. We are born into sin. We were born with sin in us. We call that our sinful nature, which is the sin that has been passed down to us from our parents that originates in the sin in the Garden of Eden from Adam and Eve. And so all of us are self-centered, selfish people who have evil desires and passions. And as a result, we have conflict with people. We have conflict with people because of sin. Now, sometimes that conflict is because someone has sinned against us. Sometimes that conflict is because someone, we have sinned against someone. Sometimes that conflict is when two people disagree on something and neither of them wants to give in to the other person's side because they're right and the other person's wrong. Maybe sometimes the conflict is even because one person is right and the other person knows that person is right, but they don't want them to know it. And conflict can last a day, or it could last years, especially if the conflict is not dealt with. I mean, there are so many ways that we can create conflict, but it all goes back to sin. What causes fighting and quarreling and conflict? Sin. And we all sin. And we all have conflict. As you heard last week, there's no such thing as no conflict. As long as we're in this world, we will have conflict. And today I want you to think about your life. Where you've seen conflict in the past, or maybe even where there is, where there is conflict with someone currently. Maybe that conflict is with someone outside the church. And maybe it's inside the church. And I don't know about you, but I don't really enjoy conflict. So what do we do? What's the answer? We heard this in James chapter 5 today. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So there's two things mentioned here. Confessing sins and praying. So let's talk about praying first. 
Praying is coming to God with your requests, your desires, your questions. It's admitting that you do not have the answer, the solution to your problem, that you cannot do it by yourself. There is something humbling about prayer. Because in faith, you are putting your trust in someone other than yourself. Putting your trust in someone other than yourself to be the solution especially when we look at the conflict that we have with others. As we heard last week from James chapter 4, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's getting away from your selfish desires to try and fix everything on your own and turning to someone who can and does fix things. And the reason that we need things fixed in the first place is because of sin. And the greatest fixing that we need is what sin does to us. Sin has consequences. We're born into sin, and as a result, we commit actual sins. Those are the things that we do against God, against his word. It's disobeying God, and it leads to punishment. It leads to death, physical death. Sin brought death into the world. Our bodies break down, they fall apart, they decay and eventually die. But that's not all. Sin also brings eternal death. It brings hell. And this is something that all of us deserve because all of us sin. We do not deserve life. We deserve death. And God would be just and right in giving us exactly that. God is just and right. And he is also merciful and gracious and pure and holy and loving, full of grace. And instead of giving us what we deserve, he gives us what we don't deserve. That's grace. And so rather than punishing us for all eternity for our sins in hell, God became the solution he sent Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, into this sin-filled, fallen world to be our Savior. And where we disobeyed God's commands, Christ kept every one of them perfectly. Where we had conflict with God because we want to live our lives according to our own will and desires, Jesus came and lived according to God's will and desires. Because God desires that all people be saved, that all people believe in him. And the only way for that to happen was for the sinless son of God to come and take our sin and take our death and take our hell and put it on himself. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he was nailed to the cross. Christ humbled himself and became obedient to death on the cross for us because he loves us. And he knew that it was the only way to save us to reconcile us to God and to take away the conflict that we have with him because of sin. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he proved that he did accomplish all things that he set out to accomplish, the forgiveness of our sins and our salvation. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to work in us, to give us the gift of faith. And with faith comes the promise of eternal life. With faith comes the understanding that we cannot save ourselves. 
Christ humbled himself for our salvation. And we humble ourselves and come to God in prayer, asking for him to continually save us in our life from all things, from sickness and disease, from temptation and even conflict. Sometimes we even connect prayer with kneeling. We kneel before God in humble adoration for who he is and what he's done for us, and we lift up our prayers to him. Some people view God as a last resort, the last place they'll go. And some people view God as the first person they turn to, the first conversation they have. As Hebrews chapter 4 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This just confirms what James says in chapter 4, that God gives grace to the humble. And prayer is humbling. Now, you may have heard this line before. Some might call it a famous one, but it says that prayer changes people and people change things. Now, I haven't dug into too much of the theological significance of this quote and how scriptural it is, but Here's what I know. Prayer is seeking answers when you don't have the solution. Prayer is asking for help. Prayer is putting your life into someone else's hands. Prayer is humbling yourself before the one who knows all things and can answer all things. If this quote is true, the reason it is is because God is doing the work in you. Prayer changes people and people change things because God changes people. And God, through you, changes things. So it's not the act of you praying that changes you, as in all you have to do is pray the magic words and poof, you're healed. It's God who changes you. It's God who takes our selfish ambitions and evil desires and makes them holy and pure. God is the miracle worker, not you. God is the one who has given us his Holy Spirit so that we can go and be reconciled to others, so that we can have peace with others, so that conflict can be resolved. And this is something that even Jesus prayed for. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed for those who would believe in him, that's you and me, that they would be one. Conflict brings division, not oneness. He doesn't want us to be in conflict with one another. He wants us to be united, to be one, to be one body that functions properly, not a body that's dysfunctional. And so what does Jesus do? He prays. And then he goes and dies and makes it possible for us to be united he changes things because he brings about that reconciliation. And he's given us his Holy Spirit to work in us, to help us pray, to give us the words to speak in our prayers, to pray for others, even those that we're in conflict with. And also that second part of James chapter 5 that we haven't touched yet, the Holy Spirit works in us so that we confess our sins to one another. 
If some of you find it hard to pray, you might find it even harder to confess your sins to those you've sinned against. We're all sinners. We're full of pride, and we don't want to make mistakes. And if we do, we don't like to admit them. So confessing our sins to somebody that we've sinned against, admitting we're wrong, means that we're taking responsibility for our actions. When we don't take responsibility for our actions, we're no different than Adam and Eve in the garden. Right? It's not my fault, God, it's Eve's. It's the woman that you gave me. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. It's not my fault. It's the proud that don't admit their sins. As you can see, blaming others, making excuses for your sins, not taking responsibility for your actions, it's been happening since the beginning of time. And blaming others and not taking responsibility doesn't resolve anything. The only way to resolve things is what James says. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person is the prayer of someone who has faith. And in faith, we pray. And in faith, we confess. Because the Spirit works in us and through us. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's because God has great power and as it is at work in us. Prayer changes people because God changes people. And so your word of encouragement today is the same words you already heard from James. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. What these verses are also saying is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray continually. Pray all the time. And in all that we say and in all that we do, we come before Christ in confidence, in our time of need, without ceasing, knowing that he hears us and answers us, and knowing that he is working in us and through us, along with the Holy Spirit. There is always hope, because Jesus is the solution. He brings resolution to conflict. He brings the forgiveness of sins, and he does it all through his death and resurrection. And he can bring resolution to even your greatest conflicts in life. And that's because he already took care of the conflict that you had with him because of sin. He died to accomplish your reconciliation, to give you forgiveness. He made peace with you because of the cross. And he can make peace between you and others because of the cross. Amen. Now the peace of God which passes all understanding 
Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.